You may be seated. So if you're elementary age, which is K through 5, you are welcome to come up and go to the class downstairs. Did Ashley talk about praying for these guys to this Sunday? Or? No. Okay. Go on down. We'll do it later. It's okay. All right. Well, welcome. Uh, my name's Robert again, and I'm the lead pastor here, and excited to uh, preach to you this morning from the book of Judges. Uh, hopefully, you're finding the book of Judges in your Bibles there on the floor on your phone, uh, Judges chapter 4, and uh, it's the seventh book in the Bible. If you don't know where it is, it's okay. There's definitely people, uh, folks in the room that the Bible's new to them. I talked to several of you last week, so we're glad you're here. And uh, why not just plunge right into some tough passages? Um, week one, we learned that um, God wanted Israel to be true worshipers. That was the thing He wanted. Uh, in, in week two, we found out that they rejected that directive and that God disciplined them. And we learned that this is going to happen multiple times, 12 times in the book of Judges. Uh, we call it the Judges Cycle. So they disobey by worshiping other gods. They then are disciplined by God. They then experience distress out of that discipline. They cry out in their distress for a deliverer, and God sends them a deliverer, and it cycles around again and again and again and again. So in chapter 3, the cycle happens three times, three different judges. We're skipping over those judges. I encourage you to go back and read that this week. Uh, but we, we get through three where this has happened three times and then it happens a fourth time in Judges 4, where it says the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. That's one of the judges back in chapter 3. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth Haggiam. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. For he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. You can see the cycle in there, right? They leave the Lord, then they experience an oppressor, they cry out, and God is going to give them some deliverers. So uh, it says God sold them into the hand of the king. Um, it is what it sounds like. It's like one master selling slaves into the hands of another master. Now, the main idea there is not that God is a slave master, but that God is in control. That even though these people groups from outside of Israel have come in and taken over, the only reason they have is because God has allowed it. He has turned over the keys, so to speak, of the nation of Israel to this king. And at 20 years, God says, no more. You may notice in the book of Judges, oftentimes the peace that they experience is 40 years. This number, one of the numbers of completeness in the Bible. But here, it's only 20 years of discipline, and then he says no more. He gives them mercy. And so for 20 years, they've been under the oppression of King Jabin. This guy has 900 chariots of iron. He has sort of the smart bombs of the ancient world. They are cruel oppressors. They don't give any details about what that is like, but we know that it's, it's cruel. And 20 years, think about it, I mean, it's about the time that I've been in Amherst, it's about the time that many of you in the room have been alive, 
But it's not long enough to where there's not some people around that remember the good old days. And they remember the good old days enough to be willing to cry out to God and to lead those younger folks to also cry out to God. And so they cry out to God, and he gives them a deliverer. Actually, he gives them three heroes. There's three heroes in this chapter, chapter 4. And from the story, we're going to get some encouragement. There's going to be an encouragement to all of us. There's going to be an encouragement to the men in the room. There's going to be an encouragement to the women in the room. So that's all I want to tell you about where I'm going. So let's, 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 let's look further into this story. Now Deborah, so here's, this is the judge that God sends. A prophetess, the wife of Labadoth, was judging Israel at the time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. So Deborah really is the only one that really, at least is described as actually doing some judging She's actually deliberating. People are bringing cases to her, probably disputes between different peoples or or different groups, and she's deliberating, she's judging, she's helping to discern what is God's will. And she's able to do that because she's a prophetess as well. So what does a prophet or prophetess do? They speak the words of God. So she's got this direct line to God, and she's able to speak on behalf of God. And honestly, God's not doing a lot of speaking in the book of Judges. This and one other time in in, uh, Judges 6 will be a mention of prophecy. And and the reason, I think, in part is because no one's really listening to the Word of God. That's part of the problem of Judges. They have the first five books of Moses, and they're not obeying them. They're not doing them. So why would God speak to them if He's already spoken to them, and they're not listening to what He's already said? And so like a good parent, He shifts into the discipline mode. He's talked as much as He knows to do, and they're not obeying, so you turn to discipline. And he's trying to, to get their attention with other means. But again, like a good parent, he does continue to speak to them at some level. He doesn't give up, right? Every, I mean, every parent would just like to talk to their kids, right, and say, don't do that, you should do this. And the kid go, oh, thanks for giving me that wise instruction, I'll go do it, right? That's not what they do. They just look at you. Sometimes it causes them to, to e- even be more rebellious. Like, no! Right? And that's like the 18-year-olds. Right? No, no, I'm kidding. Um, but but it, requires, it requires discipline, right? And so uh, discipline and God continues to speak in the midst of their refusal to heed his word. Now, Deborah also stands out because she's a she. She's a she. She's an anomaly in the book of Judges. She uh, is a prophetess, right? She, she is the only woman judge in the 12 judges that are in this book. And in general, men are asked to lead the families, the clans, the tribes, the nation of Israel. If you read through the books of the Old Testament, that's going to become very apparent. that The men are oftentimes being asked usually to, to be leading the families, clans, tribes, and nations. So what's going on here? Well, a couple of interpretations of this. So some would say that Deborah's showing us that God never intended to ask men to lead in the country, right? That, that this whole men leading thing is a patriarchy and it needs to be done away with. And that, it, it, that this is, uh, you know, this moment where God says, yeah, I know Moses and Joshua and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all these dudes have been leaders, but we're breaking the glass ceiling with Deborah, Right? is one of the ways of, of thinking about Deborah, interpreting Deborah. Or 
does the anomaly of Deborah taking the lead here in Israel actually point to some of the predicament that Israel finds themselves in because men are willing to step up and lead in their nation? Well, we'll read through the story and I'll let you be the judge, pun intended. Judges 4, 6. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinom, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun? I will draw Sisera to the, the general of Jabin's army to meet you by the river of Kishon and his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. And then Barak says to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. So here's what's happening. Deborah's using a prophetic gifting to to hear from God. And what God says to him is that, I've told this guy Barak he needs to be the next deliverer of Israel, and he won't do it. I need you to tell him, right? This is why she says, has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? So Barak, in the privacy of his own home, his own relationship with his, his God, has been told, go take the fight to the enemy. And he's thought, ah, oh, maybe I had a bad burrito last night. Maybe that's just me. For whatever reason, he's not been willing to take the fight to the enemy. And it's understandable, right? Most likely it's because he's afraid, and we see in the rest of the text that he seems to be afraid. The infantry-only Israel, Israeli army is having to go against 900 chariots. But he's also not just afraid, he's being disobedient. God has given him this word, and he's heard it, but he refuses to heed it. He's a little microcosm of really the whole nation of Israel and how they're uh, interacting with God. And Deborah essentially says, hey you, I know that God told you that you need to take the fight to the enemy, and you need to go do it. But again, he's afraid. He doesn't give his men the Braveheart speech at that point. You would think it'd be a pretty good confirmation, right? Deborah the prophet is saying, hey, I know that in the privacy of your own home, God has told you this. That'd be a great confirmation. You would think he would go, okay, this is real. I need to go fight. I need to go take the fight to the enemy. And he's like, I'm not going to do it, Deborah. Even though the God of heaven told me to do it, and now he's telling you, telling me through you that I need to go do it, I'm still not going to do it unless you go with me, right? Is essentially what he says. And again, it's not about being muscular or machismo, right? I mean, for all we know, Barack is small in stature, wearing hipster glasses and drinking single-origin coffee only, right? But what's, what's the problem is, is God's telling him, you need to do this. And he's saying, no, I'm not doing it. That is the cowardice that is the problem in the passage. And it's a sign of the times. It's a sign of the times in the book of Judges. Men are being passive. Consequently, because the men are being passive, the country's vulnerable. Both the younger men are vulnerable, the women are vulnerable, the children are vulnerable because the men are not stepping up and taking the fight to the enemy. Now, this is, the, this is one of the overarching truths, I think, in the passage, is that when are, men are passive, younger men and all women and all children are vulnerable, Right? Now, what does Deborah do? Now, maybe we should back up and say, what do we think Deborah should do? From our cultural moment, what do we think Deborah could do? I think we would hope 
that she would say, okay, Barak, I'm going to strap on the sword and the shield, and I'm going to lead the troops into battle, right? I don't need some worthless man to do this, right? In fact, you men have been keeping us down, and this is my time to take over, and it turns into like a female superhero movie where she's more powerful than all the men, and she like wipes them all out with her sword, right? But that's not what she does. It's not what's next. It's not what our cultural moment would expect or even desire, right? Judges 4, verse 9, she says, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh, and Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. What she does is she reveals to him the consequences of being a coward. And the consequences of being a coward is that this glory that was to be his is going to be taken from him. It's going to be given to a woman. Now, you have to read the rest, which we just read, to find out what woman's going to get that glory. But again, he, he won't do it. He won't step into this calling that God's given him to take the fight without taking Deborah with him. And again, even God seems to believe that he, he wants his men to, to, to rise up and to take the fight to the enemy. I mean, if God was wanting to deconstruct gender and roles and, 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 and bust through the glass ceiling, he, he would have said, hey, Deborah, you take the fight. You strap on the sword. You engage the enemy. But it's not what he does. He speaks to Barak, who he knows is a wimp, and then speaks to, through Deborah back to Barak again and again, and you'll see, and again, to get Barak to lead in the nation of Israel. So they prepare for war against a king with 900 iron, chari- iron chariots. Notice that it's Barak who calls out the troops. He does eventually give the Braveheart speech, and there's zero chance of success, at least on the surface. Right? They're going against a, 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 a military um, might that they cannot go up against in their own strength. It's ridiculous for them to go against this very powerful king. So they get all the troops together. They call out these 10,000 men, and then they're ready to take the fight to the enemy, right? (laughs) No, not quite. Judges 4.12, Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, and Sisera called out all the chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him from Harasheth Haggayim to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? And so Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot. He fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army of Harasheth Haggayim And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. So again, we see Barak, he he rallies the troops. They go to Mount Tabor. They then get military intelligence that the the chariots are coming, that the the king is, is, is on the attack. And I just imagine Barak in his boxer shorts, you know, playing Fortnite. Like, like he's he's not ready. He's not ready to engage the enemy. And Deborah's like, hey, get up! Let's go! 
Like, he's coming towards us. Let's take the fight to him. Let's just not sit here at Mount Tabor and let's just hang out. No, no, let's, let's engage. Let's engage the enemy. And again, Deborah's exhortation may be surprising to us. I mean, she doesn't, she doesn't shame him. Right? She doesn't lecture him. She doesn't nag him, nor does she do it herself. She encourages Barak in the Lord. In the Lord. He, she says, the Lord who's given Sisera into your hand. She's encouraging, encouraging him, right? giving him courage, not a, a pump-up speech, not a man-up speech, but a, a be strong in the strength of the Lord. She points him to God. And it's a powerful, powerful image for us to understand how we are to encourage one another, just in general. It's to encourage one another in the Lord. We don't shame, we don't nag, nor do we appeal just to human strength and human will. We don't just give the woman up, man up speech. We point people to the strength of God because all of us are Barak, are we not? We're weak, we're, 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 we're flawed. And we need the strength of the Lord to engage in the battle that has been put before us. None of us can do this in our own strength. And so Barak does take the battle, take the fight to the enemy. And the battle's described in like one verse. Did you notice that? And there's not, much, not many blow-by-blow details, you know? It's just like, and they took him over, and it's over, right? Which is a lot of Bible battles, almost all of them. There's this big ramp up. It's like bad enemy, bad enemy, strong enemy, impossible odds. There's 900 chariots. They're breathing down our neck. And then the people of God step out in faith, in obedience to the word of God, and boom, it's over. Because God shows up. God shows up. We know from Judges 5 in this song that Deborah makes about the ordeal is that God shows up with a flood. And you may not realize this, but chariots who are made of iron don't do well in wet ground. And so most likely what happened as we connect the dots is the chariots were stuck and then these charioteers were not ready for infantry types of fighting and God's, God's army wipes them out. Now, what we do get a blow-by-blow description of is Jael. Jael's the second woman in the story. Now, she and her husband, Haber, had settled near where the battle was happening and it indicates that Haber had sold out to the king. The, 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 the bad king. He, he had somehow made a deal with Jabin, but evidently Jael had not sold out. So she sees King Sisera, now, I mean General Sisera. Now General Sisera doesn't seem like he wants to go down with the ship, right? He, he's not going to die with his men. So he sees the writing on the wall and he gets out of his chariot and he just starts to run and he's scared to death. And, and Jael sees him and she's like, hey, hey, you can come in my tent. It's safe in here. It's really safe in here. Like you should come in here. And he goes in, and she's like, I'm going to cover you up with this rug, and I'm going to protect you, and you don't worry. And he's like, oh, I'm so thirsty, Jael, and I need some water. She's like, water? No, no, I'm going to get some milk. I'm going to open up a new skin of milk. And she gives him this, this milk, and then he's exhausted. He falls asleep, and then she nails him. <laughs> Literally. Literally. She nails him. Now, one of the funny interchanges is he says to her, if anybody comes by the door, would you tell them... There is not a man in here. <laughs> There's a thread here, okay? There's a thread in this chapter about men and, and the lack of strength, the lack of courage, the lack of willing to take the fight 
to the enemy. And, of course, Deborah's prophecy to Barak is fulfilled. A woman gets the glory of taking out that king. And, of course, we thought it was Deborah, but it's not Deborah. It's actually uh, Jael. Now, in Judges 5, they, Deborah makes a song about this whole ordeal. I'm sure it was top 40. Um, probably not today. Probably not top 40. But uh, here's what she sings about Jael. Judges 5, 24. This is on the screen. It's in your Bible. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, of tent-dwelling women, most blessed. He asked for water. She gave him milk. She brought him curds in the noble's bowl. She sent her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet he sank. He fell. He lay still. Between her feet he sank. He fell. Where he sank, there he fell. Dead. You even see like a little chorus there. Yeah. I was going to sing it, but I don't, I don't know the tune. So, so there Jael gets the glory, right? That was supposed to be Barak's. And then she sings in the earlier part of the song, she calls out Israel for worshiping false gods, and she calls out the men who are refusing to fight. Judges 5, 8, 9, when new gods were chosen, then war was in the gates. You see that? Where they're, they're worshiping false idols, and then the peoples around them are able to attack. And then she says, was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel? 40,000, that's the number of fighting men in Israel. So she's, she's like, where were you guys? Why didn't you step up? Why didn't you gauge the enemy? Right? And then she, but then she commends those that did. My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. And so she calls out the cowards. But notice that the, the cowardness, the root of it is worshiping falsely. It's, it's, it's not a man-up speech. It's a you worship false gods, and out of that came your cowardness, as opposed to worshiping the one true God, which resulted in courage. She names names in part of the song. This is pretty embarrassing. Uh, Judges 5.15, among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Why did you sit still among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling of, for the flocks? Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of the heart. Gilead stayed beyond Jordan. Dan, why did he stay with the ships? Asher sat still at the coast of the sea, staying by his landings. She's calling out the men in the different tribes of Israel. And she's saying, you're sitting around searching your heart, and we're bleeding and dying at the front line. But then she commends those that did go to the front line. Verse 18, Zebulun is a people who risked their lives to the death. Naphtali, too, on the heights of the field. She, she's pointing to the predicament, or part of the predicament of the people of God in the book of Judges, is that men are lacking faith-filled courage. They wouldn't believe God's word, even when he said it to them and then he confirmed it for them. And because of that, there was a glory that they were not receiving. Men and women have different glories. They have different glories. This is true throughout Old Testament, New Testament. The Apostle Paul actually uses that verbiage in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 7 and 8. He's talking about head coverings, which in that culture were sort of cultural cues to point to the differences between men and women. But listen to what he, what he says when he's talking about those cultural cues and what they point to. He says, For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory 
of God, the women, that woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. So what Paul argues, which he argues from creation, notice that? He says, made from woman, but woman from man. He's talking about Genesis 2. It's pre-culture, pre-sin. It, it, it's in the Garden of Eden, and, and he's saying there's, there's a pattern that's set there in Genesis chapter 2, and there's a difference between men and women, and they have different glories, and those glories, kind of big picture, communicate the relationship between God and his people, right? And so that thread you see throughout Old Testament and New Testament. Now, all human beings are image bearers, whether they, whether they be men or women. So they are bringing glory to God. They're expressing glory to God as image bearers just because they're human beings, right? But women have a unique glory that they've been given by God. Men have a unique glory that they are are, are exhibiting for the glory of God. Sometimes we call that femininity and masculinity. Those things are real, right? Those things exist and they're a gift of God and they are a... A glory. And Deborah is functioning inside those parameters. She's showing wisdom and strength and leadership, but doing so in accordance with her glory. And she's encouraging Barak to step into his unique role and to step into the glory that he's been given by God. Now, what are the takeaways? Right? What are the takeaways? So one takeaway is for all of us, all right? For all of us. And for all of us, We ought to reject passivity and engage in the battle. Reject passivity and engage in the battle. And we do that engagement by faith, right? We do that through trusting and depending on and relying on. This is not a man-up, woman-up speech. This is a faith-filled courage that we're talking about. It doesn't include armies and weapons and blood and guts, okay? So the Old Testament does include that, although underneath all those blood and guts battles is a spiritual battle that is really, for, it's foremost, right? It's utmost. And it's partly why you see one verse describing the blood and guts. It's really not much because God is trying to show them that really it's the spiritual battle that is ultimate. But, but for us, those battles point forward to, right? They typify the battle that the New Testament people of God, that's us, are engaged in. In, and it is a spiritual battle that the church is involved in. You hear Jesus talking about that battle in Matthew 16, verse 18. This is a literally foundational verse uh, for the church. Verse 18, Matthew 16, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So that's Jesus describing the church. He's describing the church as advancing against Hell. Hell's having to run for cover, go inside some kind of a stronghold, and try to close the gates and hold the church out from its advancement. So if you're, in a, if you're a Christian, you are waging war. You're waging war within your own soul. You're also waging war for the souls of others. And you're waging that not with chariots, not with spears, not with swords. You're waging that with prayer and the Word. That's what you got. That's, that's, your, that's your weapons. The prayerful proclamation of the gospel, of God's word. That's what takes the fight to the enemy. That's what advances 
the kingdom of God, is the prayerful proclamation of the gospel. That's what we're doing right here. We're at war right now. You thought, this is a little church service, we'll sing a little song, hear a little sermon. No, we're at war. We're seeking to, to see the gospel of Jesus Christ planted in the hearts and lives of men and women and children such that the rule and reign of, of Christ is, is coming down, both in individuals' lives but also in the church and being advanced out in the world. And if you're a Christian, you're in that fight. Now, for, for men, I think there's a unique encouragement to be men of Christ-like courage, to be men of Christ-like courage. And, and those who are, are exhibiting Christ-like courage are sacrificing themselves for the good of others and the glory of God. You're sacrificing yourself for the good of others and the glory of God. And your greatest example is not Barak. It's Jesus. Now, Jesus was a man, okay? Now, he was a human, and so he emulates for all humans how we are to live. And as a church, we all relate to him as our bridegroom, whether we're men or women. As a church, we're thinking of him as our bridegroom. But he's also a man. And so as a man, he is showing men how to be men. So if you want to know how to be a man, look to Jesus. The Apostle Paul would agree with this. This is why I'm saying it, because he told me through the Scripture. Ephesians 5, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You see what he's doing there? He's saying, Husbands, you want, you want to love your wives like Christ loved the church and laid down his life, sacrificed himself for the good of her. And so a man of Christ-like courage will lay down his life. If he has a wife, he's going to lay it down for his wife. If he has children, he's going to lay it down for his children. He's going to lay it down for his church. He's going to lay it down for his world. This is what godly men do. And again, we're not talking about being macho or masculinized. That's another over-masculinized. That's a problem, okay? And we'll deal with that when we get to Samson, okay? Uh, he's, he's got that problem, and we'll talk about that later. Uh, but in our cultural moment, for the most part, men are more like Barack. And they're needing encouragement to take the, the, the fight to the enemy. A couple, couple of just little snapshots uh, in our own church, right? I'm talking to somebody who's, who's working on trying to get people to read and to hold the communion um, trays and, and, and pray. And, and we try to get members to do that. And... I was, I was seeing, wow, a lot of ladies are doing that. Not a lot of men are doing that. I w I'd like to see a balance, right? I'd like to see both up there. And I'm inquiring about that. And the person that was trying to pull this together, she's saying, well, a lot of the men are saying no. They don't want to do it. They don't want to stand up here. It's scary up here. I know. It's scary. I, yeah, tell me. I know. Scared up here to pray or to read the scriptures. Talking to a small group leader who had an experience where he, he was challenging some of the men in his group. In, in some unique ways, some particular ways, and almost to a man, every one of them was like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't, I'm not willing to do that, right? Um, and, 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 and again, at least those guys were in a small group, right? We do small group sign-ups. The ladies sign up like they're going to get a free gift card, right? <laughs> and the men like they're going to get a root canal, right? It's like, come on, sign up, a small group. And you're like, ah, I don't know. Do I really need it? Like, it's not a root canal, right? This is really amazing, what happens in those small groups? And this is not a shaming speech because I, too, know what it's like to look at Barack in the mirror every day 
every day. It's one of the most frustrating things for my own wife. When I'm not willing to engage, engage with her, engage with stuff that my kids are, are, are going through, I'm all about leadership if it's fun and it's visionary and it's energizing, but as soon as it turns into a fight where I might have to take a few hits, then I want to crawl in a hole. And so, hey, I know what it's like to deal with the heart of Barak, but, but in the, the grace of the gospel, we don't have to stay that way. We don't have to stay that way. We can confess to God the weakness that we have, the flaws that we have, the sins that we have, the, 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 the cycles that we're in, that we just we feel so hopeless that we could ever get out of that cycle. And I'm telling you, by the grace of the gospel, you can get out of the cycle because I have also seen men repent from some of this stuff and turn toward leadership and loving their, their families well, serving in their church in really, really powerful ways. So it can be done. And again, I'm not saying women don't have courage. I'm not saying that women don't have leadership gifts. I, there's, but there's a crisis of masculinity, I think most of you would agree, in our country and in the church at large. And if our men don't step into these God-given roles, the church will not be able to step into its God-given potential. We need both men and women displaying their glories together for this to work itself out. And guess what? Barak does take the fight to the, bat, to, to the enemy. He does it. He struggles and he needs encouragement, and, but he does, and he ends up in the hall of fame of faith. Hebrews 11 is sometimes called the hall of fame of faith. And here's, here's the portion where Barak is, Hebrews eleven thirty two. 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, and stopped the mouths of the lions. He made the Hall of Fame. <laughs> and he said, well, the author is just glossing over Israeli history to make him look better than he really is. Are you serious? Like Hebrews was written to people that knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. They know Barak's story. And what the writer shows us is that the flawed, the weak, the sinful, they can be changed by the gospel of grace and they can actually enter into the redemptive story that God is writing even in all of our flaws and frailty. This is part of the good news of the gospel. So men, let's step up in the strength of the Savior. Let's step up. At home, let's step up in the spheres in the world where we've been given influence. Let's step up in the church. And again, not like a man-up speech, but a man-up speech in the strength of the Savior. Now, women... I think one of the things is an encouragement to you to encourage the men around you. That is not an okay thing to say in our current cultural moment, right? The, the, the cultural moment says women will get this done with men or without men. And we're going to get it done better, actually, right? And, and then it's our time. And then it's actually kind of a good thing that there's a crisis in masculinity because this is the time for women now to take the lead. But I think what we're finding is that this is, this is not producing a healthy society and it's not producing a healthy church. And so take notes from Deborah to encourage men in the Lord. 
Not to shame them, not to lecture them, not to nag them, but to encourage them in the Lord. Those of you that are wives, there's a few of you here. Take notes from Deborah. Look, look what she does. She encourages in the Lord. But not just wives, all women. You may not realize this, but when a woman encourages a man, it's one of the most powerful things. It's, it's very powerful. And it is, it, it is it's very uplifting and encouraging, right? And we're, not, we're not talking about, you know, pretending there's something they're not or inflating their egos in ways that are, that, are, that are not helpful. That's not at all what we're talking about. And that's not what Deborah does either. Again, take notes from Deborah. She encourages him in the Lord. Now, Deborah's glory is not merely encouraging men, okay? Uh, she's judging Israel, and she's doing it with great wisdom, and she's very capable, such that she is helping in, in the lives of both men and women. I mean, she's not just judging women, right? She's helping to discern and to judge. And I, and I think it, it gives us a, a good, strong example of a woman out in the public sector for the glory of God, right? But at, at the same time, she maintains a femininity, right? She doesn't just become one of the boys, right? She, she has a femininity. And you, you see this in a couple of examples here. Judges 4.4, 4, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth. You're like, what? Why does she have to be described as the wife of someone? Later on, she's going to say, I, Deborah, arose as a mother of Israel. Can you imagine a, one of our female politicians saying, I am the mother of my constituents? No. <laughs> no. Because they're ashamed of, of, of femininity. They're ashamed of the things that are unique to them oftentimes. Not always, but oftentimes. And so there, there's a way to, to use your gifts, to use your wisdom, to, to use what God has given you to make an impact out in the world and in the church and in the home and to have your unique glory that's been given to you by God. Now, that doesn't mean, again, that not every woman has to be a wife and be a mother to be able to display her full glory. But these are unique to women. Men can't be wives, women can't be mothers. And this is a glory that, that she's willing to display. And it is a glory that shows the beauty, the tenderness, the responsiveness of the people of God. And so this, this, these gender roles, which I'm not really able to say that much about, okay? I know I'm, I'm, I'm just like scraping the surface here. But this interaction between men and women in the home and in the church this actually displays the gospel, the interaction between God and his people. Thankfully, Jesus Christ, when offered the opportunity to take the fight to something much worse than Sisera, right? He was given the opportunity to face down sin and death and hell. And he stepped up. He stepped up. We, we're reminded of that every time we come to this table. He's, he's standing there. He's sitting there with his disciples, and they are a bunch of Baraks. They are. They're going to deny him. One of them's going to betray him. The rest are just going to run. They're going to be totally scared. And he sees that, and he knows that's not what they're made for. And so he takes the bread, he breaks it, he gives it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And he's letting them know he is going to take the fight to the enemies. In the same way, he took the cup, and after he blessed it, he gave it to them, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for many. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. He lets them know we're going to have a new covenant. It's going to be a new day where sin, death, and hell is going to be overcome, and we're actually going to become the men and the women that God has created us to be. For some of you, you've never received Christ. You've never received forgiveness through faith in the cross. I want to encourage you to do that. You'll never, you'll never be able to step into who God has created you to be if you have not yet first received forgiveness that God's given you through Christ's death on the cross. So I'd encourage you to do that this morning, to pray, to ask for that forgiveness, to be forgiven, to be given the Holy Spirit inside of you, empowering you to step in to what God has called you to do. For others of us, this is a time of confession and repentance. Maybe a few things in that story that, that were pertinent to your own personal life. And as the Holy Spirit's delivering those, you're responding, not, not, not feeling condemned or shamed or, or hopeless, but because of the grace of the gospel, you can lean into that. Thankfully, Barak did lean into Deborah's exhortation. He didn't just run off and say, you don't know what you're talking about. I don't want to listen to you. I don't want to have this conversation. But he engaged. And as she spoke to him and encouraged him, he took the fight to the enemy. So let's pray. God, thank you for your word. It's a lot here, a lot to think about, God. And I, I pray your Holy Spirit would take the bits and pieces that each, each heart needs and just deliver it, bring it to mind. But we all, we all need to step up in the strength of the Savior. So Lord, help us to do that. Help us to confess. Help us to repent. Help us to step into these God-given roles that we've been given and may bring much glory to you, Lord. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So if you are